in you alone, Christ, in you alone, will we ever find peace, find a home that's only in you. Thank you for the worship we've had this morning. Thank you for your presence here with us. Help us to always focus on you, to surrender all that we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. What's the best way to answer a question? Maybe, maybe I should start off with the opposite. What's not a good way to answer a question? Maybe with a question. Well, I actually, I have a couple videos I want to share with you this morning of ways not to answer a question. So take a look at the first clip. Anthony, give me a boy's name that starts with the letter H. Jose. <laughs> Name something that follows the word pork. You pie. Huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you pie. Pork you Number one. Oh, my mama. Pow. <laughs> it's number one. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It's going to be number one on YouTube, but <laughs> it ain't going to be number one on that. I bet every dollar I got. <laughs> you the only person that said coupon. <laughs> Pretty funny, but let me give you my vote for the worst answer of all. And it wasn't one of those. It's immortalized by nearly 50 million YouTube views. You may have seen it, but it's worth another painful visit. From the Miss USA teen pageant. Here in all her glory is Miss South Carolina. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some 
people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. I'm just glad she's not from North Carolina. And if I was from the South, how would I respond to that? I would say, bless her heart. See, today we're going to continue our journey through the book of James, and we're going to look at one verse. That's right, only one verse is all we're going to look at today, and it's all about how to answer questions. James chapter 5, verse 12 says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes. And your no, no, or you will be condemned. Let me begin by talking about what this verse doesn't mean. First, it's not about swearing. James is not is 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 condemning is not is not condemning the taking of solemn oaths such as a wedding vow, or if you ever go to court, placing your hand on the Bible, raising your right hand, swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Not that I've ever heard that before. Um, it's not that he's not against that. You can find that called for all throughout the Bible. And it's often a good and needed thing. It's just not what James is talking about here. And James isn't talking about profanity either. Now, before you go running off to tell someone where they can go or what they're full of, though the Bible challenges us to avoid unnecessarily coarse and demeaning language. Again, that's just not what James is talking about here. So then the question is, what is he talking about? First, James is talking about the foolishness of making rash statements. Swearing that you'll do something, or be something, or stand for something. Boasting about what you will or you won't do, big and loud on the front end. The classic example is when Peter swore that he would follow Jesus on the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus had just told Peter that he was going to face a time of extreme testing. And Peter might not do so well in that testing. But Peter would have none of it. So here is how Peter responds. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. And even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter shouldn't have sworn that way. It was premature. It was rash. He was making a claim that he couldn't back up, or at least he hadn't backed up to that point. 
He was saying that he could pass any test. He should have let his life speak for him instead of his words. To let his yes actually end up being a yes instead of just forecasting what he anticipated happening. The second thing that James wants to press home is the importance of character. That our words should mean something. That they shouldn't be anything else behind them to, to count in the minds of other people. You know, it's like when we say, I'm telling you the truth, I swear to God. I promise I'll be there, cross my heart, hope to die. I didn't do it, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. James tells us that we shouldn't have to swear by anything. Not by heaven or earth or anything else. Our yes or our no should be all that is needed. And the reason is, it's assumed that we are people of integrity. People should say, if Matt said he didn't do it, then he didn't do it because Matt is a man of his word. Or if, if Jane says she'll be there, she'll be there. She'll do what she says she'll do. So why do we do it then? Because we aren't people of our word. At the beginning of the 20th century, let's say around World War II, a gentleman's handshake was all that was needed. No contracts, no need for lawyers. But then, handshakes started to lose their meaning. So then we had written formal contracts. Once put in writing, trust was established. But now, even written contracts don't have integrity. They're broken left and right. And those who break them don't even think twice about it. It's just a legal tactic, a maneuver, because none of it means anything in terms of character. Our yes and our no are just ways of playing the game, gaining an advantage, working the system. And James says that is a character issue. There's a third way this applies to our life. And, and this is one that for many of us is the most pressing. And for that reason, I'm going to spend the majority of the time on this one. And it's found in a word that doesn't appear in that verse. But it's hovering in the shadows, waiting in the wings. When it comes to letting our yes be yes and our no be no, it's the word maybe. Isn't that what stands between yes and no? Isn't that where a lot of us live our life? The land of maybe. You want to catch a movie tonight? Maybe. You want to go grab lunch? Maybe. We like that word. 
And the reason why we like it is because it doesn't force us to commit to either yes or no. So we say, maybe. Someone invites you to go to the movie, and you don't really want to go, but you also don't want to hurt their feelings. So you tell them, maybe. No commitment, no consequences, no mess, no worries. We like maybe. So much so that we, we feel like when we say maybe that we've actually said something of substance when we haven't. Isn't that the way we hope it comes across, at least? As if we really did say something, decided something, or are living something of substance. But in truth, maybe is no man's land. Maybe is empty, without meaning, without definition. Let's expose maybe by playing it out in real life, in real time, and see if it works with things that really matter. Doctor, am I pregnant? Maybe. Will you marry me? Maybe. Mr. Foreman, has the jury reached a verdict? Maybe. Do these jeans make me look fat? Don't say maybe. You see how bad of an answer maybe is to questions that really matter. And James says that this maybe life is no life at all. You need to have a yes and let it be yes. Have a no and have it actually mean no. Maybe doesn't work in the real world. But here's where the world, where that word is maybe the most empty, maybe the most dangerous of all. Do you believe in God? Maybe. Are you right with God? Maybe. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Maybe. If you died tonight, are you confident of where you would spend eternity? Maybe it's not going to work for any of those types of questions. Jesus knew that answering maybe to life's ultimate questions was not an answer at all. So he would never let anyone hide behind it. The stakes were too high. So here's a sampling of what Jesus himself said to challenge people about this. In Mark 1.15, he says, Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Luke 9.62 says, No procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Luke 12.57-59 says, You don't have to be a genius to understand these things. Just use your common sense. 
The kind you'd use if while being taken to court, you decided to settle up with your accuser on the way, knowing that if the case went to the judge, you'd probably go to jail and pay every last penny of the fine. That's the kind of decision I'm making you, I'm asking you to make. And then John chapter 12, verse 47 and 48 says, If anyone hears what I am saying and doesn't take it seriously, don't reject him. I didn't come to reject the world. I came to save the world. But you need to know that whoever puts me off, refusing to take in what I'm saying, is willfully choosing rejection. One of the clearest examples in the entire Bible uh, is found in what I'll call the Joshua challenge. See, here's, here's the setting. Joshua was the person who succeeded Moses. After the people of Israel had been led out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness into the promised land, the run of Moses comes to an end. And he passes the baton on to Joshua. And Joshua was an amazing leader. He led the people into the promised land, led them to victory after victory over warring nations. And, and as they established themselves, soon the people of Israel had not only entered the promised land, but had made it their own. But then he came to the end of his time. An era was about to end, and a new one was set to begin. And he calls all the people together, all of Israel. He calls them all together, and he calls them to Shechem, to the place where Abraham first received God's promise that he would give the people of Israel the land of Canaan, the promised land. It was at Shechem that the great Jacob himself committed himself to God by burning and burying all of his idols and instead built an altar to God. It was at Shechem that the bones of Joseph, who saved the people from famine, would be buried. It was at Shechem that Joshua had already built an altar to God and written the laws of God on large tablets of stone for the people. Later on in history, it would be in Shechem, with the place where the kings of Israel would go to be crowned. And even later, it would host Jesus himself. For it was here that such events as his dialogue with the woman at the well took place. Shechem was a sacred place full of meaning and significance. And most of that meaning and significance had to do with milestones related to commitment. Which is why Joshua wanted the gathering to be at Shechem. And he even brings the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the stone tablets on which God wrote the Ten Commandments. The Ark that had gone before them in battle, the ark of God's power and the symbol of their commitment to Him. He also erected the tabernacle that had been with them throughout those years in the wilderness, a central focus of their worshiping life. 
This was no mere gathering. Joshua is calling all of the people together to, for the most important thing he could imagine, to stand before God, to make a commitment. Have you had, ever had a moment like that? When you were forced to come clean? And once the people were gathered, Joshua reminded them of their history. Beginning with the call of Abraham through Moses, the exodus from Egypt, to the crossing of the Red Sea, to the crossing of the Jordan, into the Promised Land. And then through the events of their conquest and the taking of that land. And through it all, reminding them that it was all God's doing. That apart from God, they were nothing. Had nothing. And could never have become anything. Look at what being in a relationship with Him had done for them. They were brought out of bondage. Out from under the most powerful socioeconomic force on the planet. They've been miraculously preserved and cared for in that journey through the wilderness. They defeated army after army, nation after nation that they had come against. They now had towns and cities, vineyards and crops. It was truly a land flowing with milk and honey. So after that reminder, he tells them what they're assembled to do. Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, in the message paraphrase says, So now fear God. Worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the God your ancestors worshiped on the far side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt. You worship God. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. And do it today. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors' worship from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. As for me and my family, we'll worship the Lord. See what he did there? He called everyone together. It wasn't just the believers that he called. He called all of Israel together, the believers and the non-believers, to stand before God. What did Joshua bring the people together to do? To get rid of all of their maybes. He said, if you don't want to say yes to God, fine. Then say no. He's here, look him in the eye, and tell him no. Find someone or something else to worship. Build your life around that God if you want, but, but you must choose. When it comes to this decision, there can't be a maybe. So how do the people respond? Pick it up in verse 16. The people answered, we'd never forsake God. Never. 
We never leave God to worship other gods. God is our God. He brought us up, brought up our ancestors from Egypt and from slave conditions. He did all those great signs while we watched. He has kept his eye on us along all the roads we've traveled and among the nations we've passed through. Just for us, he drove out all the nations. Amorites and all who lived in the land, count us in. We, too, are going to worship God. He's our God. Sounds great, right? But do you remember what James told us earlier? To beware of swearing too quickly. You need to let your yes really be a yes and not just say it. Not just in words, but in your life. Joshua felt the same way. Because here's how he then responds. He says, Then Joshua told the people, You can't do it. You're not able to worship God. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't put up with your fooling around and sinning. When you leave God and take up the worship of foreign gods, He'll turn right around and come down on you hard. He'll put an end to you. And after all the good, he's done for you. Joshua's relentless here. This is not a game. He didn't gather them together for some kind of a show. This wasn't going to be just lip service. This was about making a life defining declaration of whether you were in or you're out. And he, he says, even if you're in, say it again. Renew that commitment. Even if you've never been in, perfect time to be confronted. Moving out of maybe wasn't just about verbalizing a yes, it was having that yes be the defining reality of your life. The yes wasn't real. It wouldn't last two seconds under, under times of trouble. Then Joshua said that they would then see the other side of God. The fire that warms is also the fire that burns. So how did they respond? Verse 21, the people told Joshua, no, no, we worship God. There it was. A clear and resounding yes. And Joshua said, good. No more maybes. Then Joshua told them to act upon that decision and to act upon that decision immediately. To have their yes become not just a yes of their mouths, but to become a yes in their life. Verse 22, Joshua addressed the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen God for yourselves, to worship him. And they said, we are witnesses. 
Joshua said, Now get rid of all the foreign gods you have with you. Say an unqualified yes to God, the God of Israel. The people answered Joshua, We will worship God. What he says, we'll do. How would you do with the Joshua challenge that James brings up in a single verse? If this were Shechem, if a leader like Joshua stood before you and made and told you to make your declaration, dared you to make yours, if you knew that the days of maybe were over and your yes had to be a yes or your no had to be a no, what would you say? What would you do? Today is October 2nd, 2021. October 2nd, 1999, 22 years ago today. Some of you read your weekly emails and you've been asking me what 20, happened 22 years ago today. In fact, Amy asked me that this morning and I wouldn't even tell her, so she's gonna find out the same time you did. 22 years ago today, October 2nd, 1999, I made that decision. Small little church out in Moxville, North Carolina, I was baptized 22 years ago today. I stood up and I made that decision to surrender everything I have and to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I had no idea where that would lead me where that journey would take me, where it's still taking me. Perhaps this is your Shechem. It's time. You're called together to make a decision. Say yes. Say no. Just don't. Say maybe. You can, you can say no to Jesus, telling him that you want another God, another leader, another center in your life. Or you can say yes to him, that you know you've been living a maybe life, and you're sorry, and you want in. You want to accept what, what Jesus did for you on that cross. You want to ask for forgiveness for the sins you've committed. You want to ask him to lead you, to guide you, to be in charge of your life. You want to find out how he wants you to live. And then you want to live that way under his direction. You're not going to live a maybe life anymore. You're going to cross that line. Today is the day. This is your Shechem. Will you please stand and close your eyes for a moment?
You're standing before God. This is your chance to give Him your answer. If that's your prayer, then silently, right where you are, in the quietness of your heart, pray the word yes to Him. Just tell him yes. Did you say it? Did you mean it? If that was your prayer, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand as a sign of declaration between you and God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people who just said yes to you. I know how proud you are of them, how pleased you are, and you are ready to move forward with them in ways that they can't even imagine. Help them to run to you, Jesus. To chase after you, to never leave your side. Pray this in Jesus' name.